Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Father, we do praise you because the depths of our sin Uh, the depths of how crappy we feel, the guilt, the shame. No matter how deep that is, the gospel tells us that your mercy is even more, that your grace is even deeper. Uh, So, Lord, may we experience some of that now, uh, even as we we approach your word. Uh, Father, forgive the one who teaches his sin, for they are many. Uh, Lord, may you cause uh, all of our hearts, our minds, to just to listen, uh, to hear your word, and may your spirit move through us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, time, just the concept of time, can be a really complicated reality to grasp, right? Uh, what is time? Uh, and there are tons of theories that have been published on time, but, but much of the unbelieving world has tended to adopt the same thing the Greeks thought, that time and thus history is secular, Right? Uh, and in fact, some of the leading theorists on this argue that history, and thus time itself, repeats itself in roughly 80-year cycles they call seculums, uh, which they are then, then divided into these to four 20-year categories called generations. You know, think of the, the, the boomers, the Gen X, the millennials, the Gen Zs. And, and interestingly, they note that in their model... This is really fascinating. The period we're currently in today, which began in the year 28, 2000, sorry, 2008, uh, is the secular time called crisis. So we're in the crisis part of the, the cycle. Uh, they would say roughly 80 years before that, we experienced the Great Depression and World War II. 80 years before that was the Civil War. 80 years before that was the Revolutionary War. And they just keep cycling through crisis. And they say, see, the time's not going anywhere. We just hopelessly and helplessly repeat ourselves. Okay, to that Solomon would say, yes, it is true that there's nothing new under the sun. And as fallen humans, we do have a tendency to repeat our experiences and our circumstances. But the fact that we repeat ourselves has more to do with the nature of fallen humans than it does the nature of time itself. Because when we come to God's word, we find a different understanding of time, right? That instead of time being secular, uh, time is linear. That time is, is heading in a direction and it's on a crash course with one single event in, his, in the future. Uh, which, by the way, uh, isn't that more in line with that visceral sense that we have? Um, that, that, you know, God tells us that he has placed eternity in our hearts. And even if we can't really describe what that means, we all have a sense, this innate longing for, for better, right? We, we hear about what's coming out of Memphis, right? We hear about some of the things that happened in our town this week. Like we long for justice, right? There's, there's this single longing for better. And so the, the Lord's Prayer calls that kingdom come. That's what we're longing for. Well, the Bible says that longing, that that singular event is the return of our hero, the king that's going to come and make things right, uh, the return of Jesus. And so God tells us that that's the next big thing in salvation history is his return. And actually, it's so big that it's not only promised in nearly every single Old Te- or New Testament book, 
uh, but it's mentioned over 300 times total in the New Testament. Uh, we're told that Jesus' return is going to be personal, like it's going to be him. It's not like this aberration of him or ghost of him. It's going to be him personally. Uh, it will be visible that every eye will see. Uh, we're told that it's going to be glorious, and we're told that it's imminent, right? That it is coming soon. How soon, we, no one could ever know. But we do know that it's 727,000 days closer than it was the day that Jesus ascended, right? And look, real quick, before we dive in, I want to make a really important clarification on this. Uh, when it comes to end times and like the return of Christ, it's very easy for us to take these kind of secondary issues and bring them over here and make them primary and to take the things that are really on the periphery and to make them the main things. And so many sermons and many preachers, I'm sure you all have heard these, have, have used passages like this to scare people, right? And, and though if you aren't in Jesus, there is, there is a call to respond, right? An, an urgent call to repent. But, but there are churches typically of the premillennial dispensational eschatology flavor uh, that pulls in blood moons and numerology and really creative attempts at interpreting the times. And in a sense, they use that to weaponize God's word, resulting in Christians living in fear all the time, right? All the time. <laughs> Which is the opposite of what these passages were intended to do for Christians. Um, I have a, a nephew right now who's currently, he's, he's how old is he, Annie? Eight, nine? He, he's already starting to experience panic attacks. Um, and... Uh, I, yeah, really panic attacks anytime his parents leave his sight. He never wants to leave his parents' uh, side. And so they think they've traced it back to, be it their church's preaching, or they, they, they've traced it back to his being afraid that the rapture would happen and he would be all alone. I'm sure some of us have thought about that. <laughs> that he would be all alone. And so every time he can't find his parents, he thinks he's all alone in the world. And, and right, true panic ensues. Okay. Passages like this are a warning, but if you are in Christ, the, the point, um, they're meant to give us peace. <laughs> they're meant to give us peace. It's, you know, in, in the context here, Jesus over the last few weeks has been teaching us, you know, a, about greed and anxiety and, and how do we live as his followers, right? And, and Jesus wants us to see that readiness for his return, like right? living ready for his return is the antidote for greed. That is the antidote for worry. And in fact, like living ready for his return is how we flourish as humans. And so he's answering the question, how then shall we live? Okay. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I want to find that out. So let's dive in. Uh, this is God's word, Luke 12. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and he finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at the hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, Well, my master is delayed in coming. And he begins to beat the, the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master, his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know much or who did not, who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they demanded the more. This is God's word. When when it came time for Jesus to teach on, okay, what does it mean to be ready for his return? I mean, so immense is this topic that Jesus didn't use just one story, but he used three stories from different angles to talk about what this means. And so, though there are tons of implications for our lives this morning, which we're going to hit on some of them, the main point is when Jesus has served you, then you respond in ready service to him. Right? Having been served, we, we serve. That's this is the point here. So Jesus says, look, you want to know what living ready for, for my return looks like? He says, first, imagine, it's kind of like you're a servant of a house. You know, you work downstairs in Downton Abbey. And you're, you're down there with Mr. Carson, right? And, and your, your master has left to go to a, to a wedding feast. And, and unlike today, you know, even if you stayed to the very end of the wedding and you sent the bride and groom out with the sparklers, right? Um, I mean, still, wait, three, four, hour, five hours, right, if you after party it, right? Like, you're, you're going to be coming home three, four hours. Okay, well, I'm, I'm not sure if any of y'all have been to a Jewish wedding. Any of y'all experienced a, a true Jewish wedding? Um, they're like a whole nother thing, right? And even back in Jesus' day, Jewish wedding celebrations could last even up to a week. And so if you were a servant, you wouldn't know if your master was coming home at midnight, 2 a.m., seven days later you just don't know and so without phone or text or or that life 360 thing you for sure don't know where your master is you don't know when he's coming okay like that like we don't know when jesus will return okay um, it could be in 10 minutes it could be in ten thousand years uh, we don't know but all we do know is what he said in verse 40 he said be ready because he's coming at an hour no one expects well, in, in Jesus' story, though they didn't know, as good and faithful servants, it didn't really matter because they wanted to be ready to welcome their master when he got home, right? And so they just kind of stayed ready the whole time. I mean, they, they lived ready, so it didn't matter when he came because they were, they were ready for him. Verse 35 says they stayed dressed for action. Um, in the, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but in, you know, in the ancient Near East and still to this day, um, People would wear these kind of long outer garments, you know, over, over their, their clothes, uh, long flowy garments. 
And, you know, you're always tripping on those things. If you have to be agile, you're tripping over them. And so if you had to be ready, you had to be nimble, a lot of times you would take those long garments and you would you know, pull them up and kind of tuck them into your, your belt so that you could be ready, you know, when called upon, ready to roll. Well, you may remember one of the big issues in the church at Thessalonica was idleness, right? The church at Thessalonica believed, well, Jesus is coming back any, any second now. And so, like, why, bo- why bother tending to anything, right? Um, why, why bother being with other Christians? This is what happens with any, like, cult that thinks, you know, the, cult, the, the comet's coming by and there's a spaceship. And so they just, like, just give up and go, right? Paul is saying, look, we don't know when he's returning, but until he does, he tells the Th- Thessalonican Christians, don't grow weary of doing good. I think Martin Luther understood this, right? Though though it's debated as to Luther actually said this or not. Um, Legend has it that Martin Luther uh, was asked once, Martin Luther, if you knew that the world was going to end tomorrow, you you knew Jesus is coming back tomorrow, what would you do today? What would y'all do if you knew that? And Luther, who happened to be planting an apple tree at the time, said, I would plant an apple tree. You know, in other words, carry on. Carry on for God's glory. So what's Mr. As we, as we wait, the point is we don't wait checked out. And as we saw two weeks ago, we don't just eat, drink, and be merry. No, we, we keep our souls ready. And so may, maybe just a good question to start is, like, do you spend any time during your week thinking about the return of Christ? Like any time. Um, has that reality ever made a difference in your daily life? Has the reality that Jesus is returning at any point, has that ever maybe caused you to close your mouth when you really want to open it? Um, does it cross your mind? You know, we're called to, be, to live ready, which then leads to the next thing the, the ready servants did. In, in a you know, pre-kerosene, pre-HVAC world, in, in Judea, when it got dark, it got cold. And so the only way to keep warm and to keep the house lit was by tending the lamps or to keep that fire burning. Okay. I'm not sure if there's a better picture of what it means to be ready for Jesus in this fallen world than this, this idea of, of tending the fire. Um, Cormac McCarthy um, wrote, wrote possibly one of the best novels about what it means to be a father in the midst of a world gone mad and and not to spoil anything, but many of y'all have read, you know, The Road, right? Or seen the movie, The Road. It's about this father and son who are traveling through this post-apocalyptic land, a land filled with these depraved cannibals that would have them and literally eat them. And so the father taught his son to, this is their language, to, quote, carry the fire, which was their metaphor, their way of, of seeking grace and beauty and living with hope in a land of death. All right, throughout Scripture, we see that God's presence is constantly, you know, it's, it's displayed through fire, right? Be it the, the burning bush that never burned out before Moses, uh, be it the tabernacle or the, uh, the temple in which, which God came in and God lit that fire. And numerous times, God calls, calls the priest, tend the fire, don't let the fire go out. May the fire burn continually. But that, that language of fire also continues in the New Testament time. You know, in Matthew 24, Jesus says that as the lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold, right? Remember in Revelation, 
uh, what he said to the church in Ephesus, right? This, remember, the church of Ephesus was this church that like Paul planted, Timothy pastored, the apostle John pastored after that, uh, Mother Mary retired, died, and allegedly was buried there. And so, I mean, this, the church of Ephesus had, had it going on. They had everything. But then Jesus said this to that church, but this I have against you, you have forgotten your first love, right? They had forgotten to tend and stay near the fire of the gospel. So Mark Dever tells of people uh, who will come up to him, who they love reading theology books, always reading theology. They, they're all about learning, but, but when asked to go serve another church member or to love on the least of these, he says they never show up. And to that he says, he'll, he'll tell them, brother, sister, uh, you may not be saved because all of that theology isn't doing a thing in you. Uh, it, it, your, your, your light isn't shining. Your fire has no heat. Okay, well, what does this mean? Well, I, think, I think we get this as Christians, right? Don't we feel it every day? That, that's similar to the book, The Road. <laughs> we live in a dark and fallen world. A world where apart from Christ, there's, there's nothing to hope in, right? It's knowing the reality that as Christians and really as the church, we're not setting up shop at the top of four seasons, right? No, we serve as a kingdom outpost on the edge of the darkness. And that's what it is to be a Christian family today. Dude, you are on the edge of darkness. And unless we tend the fire, keep the fire of the gospel constantly before us, we won't only become cold, but this world will have us. And so worship, what we're doing now, and devotions and family prayer times, like those, those aren't just like nice activities that good and decent church folk do. Like you know why we're called to do that, right? It's, it's for our survival is why we, we do that. And unless we stay near the fire that in Christ you are forgiven and loved, then we, we seek our identity in every nook and cranny and we settle for lovers and, and hope far, far less while. So y'all, keeping the fire is rejecting, rejecting the lie of our world of do more, try harder. And it's just to pray, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Right? It, it's to push back against the darkness and then to help give that gospel warmth to others. So being ready to meet Jesus isn't merely like get saved and you're done type thing. It's not a single event, it is a lifestyle, a lifetime of living ready for Jesus' return. All right, but then second, uh, Jesus switches gears to come at this uh, really in an even more sobering way. Uh, he warns us that, that people who are not ready for his return are going to suffer an eternal loss. And, and I, I love Peter's question. We all would ask the same thing. It's like, um, Jesus, are you talking to everyone now or just us? <laughs> who are you talking to? And Jesus answered the question with another story, verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food in the proper time? Blessed is that servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Okay. Jesus is talking about two groups of people at the exact same time. First, he, he's talking to all of every single person in here. Uh, in the story, the, the manager of the house wasn't only the servant of the master, but he was also called to steward well the resources that were given him by the master. Right? He's supposed to give food to others at the proper time. 
Which again, I mean, hasn't that been the central theme for the last few weeks, right? From the parable of the rich fool to the birds and the lilies to the principle of putting our heart where our treasure is, Jesus has been teaching us what to do with what we have constantly. You know, he's waking us up to the fact that, that we're not the master of the house, that God is, which means anything we own, right, anything you own is really God's. And it's, it's, on, it's on loan to you from God. Like we're living in his VRBO right now. And we, we see here that Christians, that we aren't charitable or philanthropic so that we can like be good people or that's what we're supposed to do. No, no, like we're generous because we understand that we have been called and ourselves are called stewards, right? And, and that God hasn't only blessed us for our enjoyment, but he has also entrusted these gifts and resources to us for the benefit of others as well. So faithful stewards understand what it is to be rich in God. So, so right, that's to everyone. So everyone in here in Christ, your job title says steward. Steward your talents, steward your time, steward your, the resources God has given you. Okay? But Jesus' metaphor here is also pointed to a, another group of people, specifically church leaders. Um, you know, the church ha has always been described as the household of God, right? And, and being a steward of that house was the literal responsibility of the apostles and then church leaders after them, which in our context here means teaching elders and, and ruling elders. And this, this reality may be one of the reasons why James said, Look, everybody says they want to be a preacher or elder. Not many of you should become teachers or elders because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, why is that? Well, it's because the, the principle that was laid out at the end, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrust it much, they will demand the more. Right? Um, and so I'm just going to talk to the elders or the leaders real quick. Uh, elders, we have been given the massive responsibility of seeing that the family of God, as much as we can, has received its portion of food at the proper time. And of course, God moves the heart, God gives the growth, but, but, but our primary call is to be stewards of the gospel. You know, as we preach, in our teaching, in our meeting, in our shepherding, just to, to serve up the gospel, okay? And Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it because Jesus knows that not every servant will be faithful. Uh, he knows that some think that while the cat's away, the mice, is, they're going to play, right? For some Christians, Jesus' return is like the furthest thing from their mind. They think he's going to be delayed. And so instead of nourishing others, they selfishly, drunkenly, abuse the good things of God by really kind of just squandering it all on themselves. Um, or even in the church, you know, you hear of leaders who far from being humble stewards um, go on power trips or abusive to their members, the members in their care, and like a wrecking ball, Jesus says, beware because a day of reckoning is coming. Promise. You know, some see Jesus' words about cutting the unfaithful servant into pieces as, as barbaric, right? What's Jesus talking about? 
And, and some argue that it's, though this type of punishment was not unheard of during Jesus' time, most scholars will argue that Jesus was likely using a figure of speech. It's like, my wife is going to kill me when she finds out, or, or, you know, or, or my dad is going to kill me, right? Figure of speech. But regardless, the point Jesus is making is when he comes back and there's this whole judgment thing that happens, the punishment will fit the crime. That we will be judged according to our knowledge and that that judgment will be fair, okay? So on judgment day, nobody's going to sit there and say, that's not fair. Because he says all he's doing is he's putting the unfaithful with the unfaithful. He's just putting them together, you know? Of course, people, people always ask, okay, how could, it be for, how could it be fair for God to condemn people who have never even heard the gospel? And the short answer to that is God is sovereign and we, <laughs> we don't always know. But from, from here, what, we, what Jesus says here, we can know. And again, I don't understand what this means. But their punishment will be less severe if they, they don't know. Their punishment will be less severe, and I guess we'll find out what that means. Okay. All right, so our, our takeaway here, though, is to whom much has been given, much is required. And Westminster, we, we've, been, like, we've been given truckloads, Right? Like, there's like almost 40 years, right, of just like fairly faithful gospel preaching here in Sunday school classes and like women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies. Like, we have heard the gospel upteen zillion times, right? And so we have been entrusted with so much, so much here, um, which I don't know about you, but as we close, that begs some honest questions, right? If we've been given so, I mean, like the Reformed tradition is like the Taj Mahal of theology, right? How many, how many of us perfectly fit these descriptions? You know, who of us have always lived ready? Um, how many of us have always perfectly stewarded God's good gifts? <laughs> or sometimes we're tempted to think, oh, that's, my, that's kind of my stuff. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but all of this is a glaring reminder of why I need, I need a Savior. It, it's a reminder that, oh yeah, I forgot. Christianity isn't for the faithful servants, but rather it's for the unfaithful servants, right? It, it's, it's a reminder that Jesus is the faithful one who took all of our unfaithfulness on himself, and when he died on the cross, Jesus was the original one to say, forgive me for this, never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around or desert you, right? The original one. It's his servant love for us first, right? And we can't forget this. It's Jesus' love for us first that could ever compel us to even possibly be the faithful servants in this, this story. That authentic servant love. So did you notice what happened in the first story? Because the gospel was kind of hiding in plain sight the whole time. And so do you ever wonder, like, okay, why were those first servants so faithful? Well, it's because they knew the type of master that they served. Did you see what happened? Remember when the master returned, and they're wait, they want to welcome it in. The master returned, he did the unthinkable. The master made himself a servant, and he invited his servants to, hey, no, no, no come, come sit down. I want to serve you. Come, recline at table. And so he served them. Jesus totally wrote himself into the story here, didn't he? Giving us a taste of what he came to do. And of course, it wouldn't be long after Jesus said this that he would literally do this in the upper room, right? Putting on the, the, the garb of a servant and washing his disciples' feet. He did this on the cross, serving us. 
And we're reminded of this every single time we celebrate communion, that invitation that Jesus issued. And then in Revelation, we're told that one day, y'all, on that day, Jesus will do this for all of his people in the flesh, right? That one day, uh, sinners and outsiders of all types in him will be drawn in to recline at table with him. Because so here's the takeaway. How can we be a ready people? How can we live ready? Well, well, the simplest answer is rest in the gospel. Okay, I wish I had more to give to you. Rest in the gospel. Revel in what Christ has done for you. And, And having been loved by him, we love. Having been served by him, we serve. And it's nothing extraordinary. We're just following him. And through that, we're ready for it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, would you light gospel fires in us um, so that we don't just kind of like just ho-hum through life and like, "Eh, I guess it's fine, whatever. But when when we hear the gospel, may we respond in joy. Um, May we respond in awe. May we respond in even more wanting to worship and revel, um, Lord. Um, so we, we, we agree with that, Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would come and capture our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.